merciful Savior, your suffering has saved our lives, secured our future, and restored us to the relationship with God. Remove the shame and fear that cause us to cower in your presence. By the Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to your word of love, mercy, healing, and blessing. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now, hymn number 445. It's okay. In this passage, I will be reading Genesis 45, 1 to 15. In this passage, Joseph, a natural leader, makes himself known. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers did not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see 
what it is. My mouth speaks. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be thanks to God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong that they did in harming you. Now therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept and fell down before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, folks, congratulations on making it to the end of the book of Genesis. We have been steadily walking through the entire book over these past three months. We began with the creation story back on June 4th, and today we finish this epic tale with the resolution between Joseph and his brothers. And I entitled this series, I don't even notice it, a series, Origins, because Genesis is our origin story, answering those eternally relevant questions. Who are we, and where do we come from? And the creation story answers those questions by saying we are those who have been made in the image of God and we come from the overflow of divine generosity and love. That's where we began. But things got complicated from there. We've been following Abraham and Sarah's dysfunctional family for four generations now. These people through whom God had promised to bless the entire earth, and yet they can't manage to get out of their own way. And this generational pattern of one parent favoring a child over another has gotten worse and worse, culminating in what we witnessed last week with Joseph's brothers, envious of their father's love, selling him into slavery in Egypt. And we leave that story thinking, how can this be the family through whom God will bless the entire earth. Will anyone break this cycle of envy and favoritism? Well, the answer to that question 
is with one simple yet difficult word. A word that Don Henley says gets down to the heart of the matter. You know this word? What is it? Yeah, been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak, and my thoughts, they may scatter, but I think it's about forgiveness. Yeah, that's what this is all about, forgiveness. But we've got some catching up to do, because the last time we saw Joseph, he was enslaved in Egypt, and a few things have happened in the meantime. So let's catch up. Joseph is sold into chattel slavery at the age of 17. And he is enslaved in the house of one of Egypt's most wealthy men named Potiphar. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he flourished as Potiphar's slave, rising up to manage his entire household until Potiphar's wife sexually assaults Joseph, and he ends up in prison. And while he's in prison, the Lord was still with Joseph. And over time, he gains the trust of the prison guards, and he's made the manager of the prisoners as a prisoner himself. And he interprets the dreams of two of his fellow prisoners. And after doing so, Joseph is brought before Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. And Joseph tells Pharaoh that his dreams are predictions of seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. So you better start storing food now if you want to survive later. And just as we saw in Potiphar's household and while he was in prison, Pharaoh makes Joseph the manager of the entire empire of Egypt. This is the original rags-to-riches story. And so while his fortunes have changed, the wounds of Joseph's trauma remain unhealed. And so the famine comes, and Joseph's brothers make their way down to Egypt looking for food. They have no idea that their brother is alive, much less that he holds their fate in his hands, just as he dreamed that he would do so many years earlier. Genesis 42, 8 says, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. So even though Joseph's dreams were coming true, his trauma remains unhealed because despite what we've been told, time does not heal all wounds. Only truth and forgiveness does that. And Joseph isn't there yet. Here's the reality. Joseph was traumatized by his brothers, those who should have protected him. And forgiving that kind of betrayal is no easy thing. You don't just flip a switch and reconcile with those who wanted to kill you. It's not reconciliation. That's, that's bypassing the hard work of forgiveness. And make no mistake, forgiveness is hard. I was disappointed, even infuriated, by how many commentators on the Joseph story say some version of victim-blaming. They suggest that Joseph was an uppity braggart and somehow had it coming to him. And this makes me so angry. To see Joseph as bringing about his own victimization is no different than asking a woman who's been sexually assaulted, well, what were you wearing? 
Oh, I'm sorry. What does that have to do with whether someone was assaulted? But victim blaming runs deep in us. I think it is our default mode. See, most often, people are victimized by those who are more powerful than they are. So therefore, when we victim blame, we support the powerful and further brutalize victims. And we say things like, well, you know, there's, there's two sides to every story. But that's just not true. Some stories have 20 sides. Some stories have one. There are some actions that cannot be justified. They need to be named for what they are, which is just plain wrong. Chattel slavery and sexual assault fall into that category. And Joseph endures them both. There is no justification for these actions. Not in Joseph's story, not in our family story, not in the American story. We need to call a thing what it is. There is no excuse for enslaving one's brother in the ancient world, just as there is no excuse for dehumanizing people of color in our world or trans people. In fact, there never was an excuse. You hear things like, well, it was a different time back then. Okay. Well, tell me, what time was it okay to brutalize, to violate, and to sell other people's bodies? We must stop victim blaming and call sin, sin. Get a little worked up about these things if you haven't noticed. You might think, you know, you're being a little too harsh on Joseph's brothers. And that's antithetical to the spirit of forgiveness. But it isn't. Calling a thing what it is, is integral to the forgiveness process. Forgiveness begins by truth-telling. It's exactly what happens to Joseph. In chapter 42, after calling his brothers spies, he overhears them saying to each other, We are clearly guilty for what we did to our brother when we saw that his life was in danger and when he begged us for mercy, but we didn't listen. It's upon hearing this that Joseph leaves the room and weeps. The first of several ugly cries that Joseph has on his journey to forgiveness. I think one of the most damaging aspects of being victimized is that you can begin to think, you know, maybe I did something to deserve this. But when Joseph hears his brothers admit their guilt, their indifference to his pain, their truth-telling begins to unleash in Joseph a flood of unhealed trauma. So after hearing his brothers tell the truth about what they've done, it still takes Joseph a while to forgive. And that's okay. He's not sure he can trust them anymore, which is totally fair. Forgiveness is a process that takes as long as it takes. Sometimes Christians can seek to bypass the hard work of forgiveness by telling victims things like, well, you know God says that you need to forgive. But that's not for us to say. Forgiveness is a gift freely given by God to each one of us. 
And we are invited, not compelled, to both receive forgiveness from God and have it pass through us to others. Forgiveness is not an obligation. It is an invitation to healing. So forgiving others is a gift that we give to ourselves so that we might be healed, so that our trauma might be reframed into something meaningful. But that meaning cannot be externally applied. It must emerge organically from the victim through the process of forgiveness. And that's what we hear Joseph do in chapter 45. After revealing himself to them, he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. So after weeping a flood of tears, Joseph gives meaning to his trauma, and he forgives his brother without diminishing what they had done. In chapter 50, he says, You meant it for evil. It was evil, but God meant it for good. See, forgiveness tells the truth. You were wrong, and there is no justification for what you did. And despite all of your efforts to diminish me, I'm still here. I'm still Joseph. I am more than a victim. Even though you meant to harm me, God sustained me through hell. And therefore, I can forgive. Now, saying God meant it for good, this doesn't mean that God arranged for Joseph's slavery and abuse. That's saying far too much. Joseph recognizes that there is another force at work in the world besides evil, and that force is God. And while God did not protect Joseph from anything, God sustained Joseph through everything. And that's enough for him to forgive. So forgiveness is a gift that we give to ourselves, one that God has freely given to us. It cannot be forced or demanded. It can only be freely given. But when we do it, when we forgive, the impossible happens. Abusers and victims can once again be brothers. It does not always happen this way, but it does and can happen. And that's enough to give us hope. And so here we are at the end of the beginning. And our origin story makes one thing perfectly clear. If we are ever to break the cycle of envy and hurt in our lives, we must know forgiveness. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the engine of our relationships from seizing up. Without it, we have no hope, no future. But with forgiveness, all things are possible. Knowing that I was going to preach on forgiveness this week, I got a lot of extra practice that I wasn't planning on. Three times this week, I had to ask different people for forgiveness for the things that I had said and done. Things that were just plain wrong. And it hurt every time. Every time I asked someone for forgiveness, it's like a small part of me dies. And I don't want to die. 
But of course what's dying is my ego. What's dying is that need to self-justify that part of me that always needs to be right. That must die in order for something new to emerge. It's the only way to break the cycle. So Don Henley is right. When we get down to the heart of the matter, it's all about forgiveness. It's the only way to be whole again. When we forgive, impossible things happen. And the world ever so slightly is reborn. It's reborn back into its original purpose, overflowing with divine generosity and love. Desmond Tutu says, we can't create a world without pain or loss or conflict or hurt feelings. But we can create a world of forgiveness. That's the world I want to live in. Amen.